I'm Michaela Faulkner, Associate Editor of Precision Farming Dealer. Welcome to the latest episode of the Precision Farming Dealer podcast, sponsored by Trimble Agriculture. New episodes of this series are available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. Today I'm talking with Alexi Andrew, Managing Director of Autotech Ventures an early-stage venture capital firm that invests in the next generation of ground transportation and mobility technologies. Autonomous agriculture falls within Autotech's realm of investments, and Andrew sees automation and heavy investment in ag tech continuing in the months and years to come. In today's episode, Andrew shares his predictions for the technologies that will transform the agriculture industry, in addition to how he thinks big tech companies' potential involvement in agriculture would affect the industry and dealerships, and where agriculture is experiencing a new space race in investment and development of technology. a little bit about Autotech Ventures and what you do there? Sure, absolutely. Autotech Ventures is a venture capital firm based in Silicon Valley. And uh, we're pretty unique in what we do. Our investment focus is entirely centered around the next generation ground transportation and mobility. It covers the entire life cycle of a vehicle. And uh, we define vehicle as something with wheels or trucks, which cannot fly. And so it starts with how people choose the vehicles, how they purchase vehicles, how they insure vehicles, how they finance the vehicles, how they put vehicles in fleets, and how fleets are managed, how they are used to move passengers, cargo, and do all other type of uh, jobs, from construction to mining to agriculture, how vehicles interact with the environment, how vehicles are built, what goes inside those vehicles, all the way to uh, repair, maintenance, and eventual disposal. So we have a pretty holistic investment thesis, again, uh, focusing on next generation ground transportation and utility vehicles. We are an early stage investor, so we, we try to be first money in, in majority of our portfolio companies, first institutional money in. Uh, and we've been pretty lucky so far. So out of about 35 investments we've, we've made today, seven of our companies became unicorns. Oh, and wow. So we, 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 we got lucky a few times. Yes. Yep. Um, what types of agriculture technology is Autotech invested in? Uh, good question. Uh, we are coming to agriculture from the autonomous driving standpoint. We are very excited about off-road autonomy in general. So when we started looking at highway autonomy and all this robot taxis and uh, long-haul trucking, we got really concerned about a couple of things. First, time to market and necessity to change uh, legislation to allow those autonomous vehicles to drive on public roads. We got concerned about sometimes very unclear ROI uh, and and how to articulate ROI to the end mm-hmm. users. We got concerned about, frankly, children and old ladies crossing the streets and running dogs. However, we got really, really impressed by all those amazing technologies developed by highway autonomy startups. 
And we decided that instead of going and investing in highway autonomy, and maybe we're wrong, but at least it was our internal decision, we'll find other use cases for this, this amazing robotic uh, stack. And can we find use cases where uh, the, the machines, the vehicles are deployed on the private land, and so there's no city or state or federal regulations? Mm-hmm. Can we find areas where those machines are moving relatively slow and there's no traffic lights, there's no like uh, crazy drunk drivers around, there is no old ladies and children playing around, uh, and where we can essentially articulate ROI to the end users, saying, hey guys, you are having severe labor shortages, you have dangerous jobs, because as, as you definitely know, agriculture and mining are two most dangerous jobs around. Mm-hmm. And, and we can uh, uh, bring this autonomous stack from the best developers in highway world into very particular, very concrete use cases in agriculture, mining, construction, et cetera. It makes it makes sense um, going from the those highway autonomy use cases to the use cases on private land. Do you have any specific companies that you can share that Autotech is invested in in that space? Sure, we seeded the company Verdant Robotics, and so just to show you correspondence between highway autonomy. So Verdant Robotics uh, is a is a local company here in California, started by three co-founders. So one of them used to run. One of them was a chief scientist of Zook's uh, highway autonomy company acquired by Amazon, and the third was a senior perception guy at Cruise. Mm-hmm. And so three of them got together and partnered together to build next-generation autonomous agriculture machinery for specialty crops. And the first machine uh, was designed and is designed to uh, work in uh, apple orchards. And so this machine can identify flowers, moves uh, autonomously, and it can spray pesticides and insecticides, whatever is needed, but it sprays very, very precisely. Not only that, as it goes through orchard, uh, one run after another, the machine remembers uh, where every flower is. And the machine knows where each apple is. And you can fine tune your uh, spraying to maximize the average food size. Verdant is addressing three needs at the same time with its robotic autonomous farming systems. Increasing the food size, addressing labor shortages, and massively reducing the amount of uh, chemicals. Once they started deploying those machines, farmers started asking them about all other specialty crops we grow in California. Now they are running many tests and they're running pilot deployments with the largest carrot farms in America. And they are actively expanding into onions and garlic. And there are some other specialty foods or uh, specialty vegetables, and the results are super promising. It's pretty amazing that not only this one machine can solve those three huge problems, but then it's so versatile among these different crops. We are definitely living in the age of uh, artificial intelligence. 
we essentially learned how to build machines that can learn. Once you get there, again, you just show by example, you know, explain what things are. And and then the mechanics is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. It really is amazing. And that seems like a good segue to what are you seeing in terms of agriculture technologies that are on the horizon for 2022 and then in years beyond that even? Yeah, uh, excellent question. So first, we see continuing automation. Many, many startups uh, we we looked at, especially in Europe, for greenhouse uh, automated strawberry farming, uh, replacing humans uh, and reducing human participation in, in agriculture. We see, again, specialty crops, robotics, uh, a bunch of other AI initiatives around the world. We see supporting machines. So think about if you are uh, growing grapes, uh, and you need to move your carts back and forth. And so now it's a human driver in the truck, and it's a routine movement from point A to point B and back and forth and back and forth. Why do you need a human? And so there is a startup called Burro Robotics. Uh, we looked into it and we like them a lot, uh, building those kind of automated carts for farms, uh, just, just following you as a dog. And once you pick up enough fruit, it will run to the warehouse. And, and once the, the, the boxes are offloaded, the cart will run back to you. We see uh, big data playing more and more important role in farming. Because once you have this robotic machine running, whether it's verdant robotic or it's a supported machine, this machine, you, you drop camera, you literally drop your iPhone okay, on the side, you duct tape it. And this thing will be scanning your field. It will be scanning your crops. And it stores all the information, analyzes the data. And the precision agriculture is coming, mm-hmm. but partially enabled by drones, but partially enabled by all those additional automated machines, which do the job, but they can scan in real time and parallel. It's just very easy extension. And uh, many years ago, I was involved in in a different firm, and we invested heavily in kind of organic pesticides and reducing chemical load on, on, on the farms and reducing amount of damage those chemicals are causing uh, to the environment. I think we'll see quite a lot of better seeds, better chemicals, and, and we'll see more organic agriculture. And I think we see more innovation in biome space just creating those those communities of microbes around seeds to promote and facilitate growth of, of the plants. Sure. But I think they will be cumulative and they will add up. So I'm not worried about uh, food shortage long term. I think we have enough despite, despite global warming or at least uh, temperature instability. I think there will be enough innovation to help us produce enough food mm-hmm. for We'll get back to the conversation shortly, but first a word from Trimble Agriculture. This series features perspective from precision experts on a range of topics, and today we have some insight from Devin Liss, product manager with Trimble Connected Farm. 
He talked with me about what types of data farmers are gathering and how dealers can guide them to the right precision tools for their operation. What types of data do you help farmers gather and how does it help them? There are several different types of data you know, we can help farmers gather. Maybe some of the most primary data would be job summary type data. So this would be data about the jobs that happened in a field, and maybe this would be like acres covered, what material was applied, at what rate was that material applied, maybe what was the yield of my crop. And what farmers can use this data for, they use it for their field planning, you know, maybe to make better decisions for next year or make agronomic decisions around that data with regard to what I should plant in certain areas, in certain fields, what seeding rates or material rates I might want to plant at. Other types of data the farmers can gather might be things like status data. Status data might be about what's happening in real time. So as somebody's trying to manage operations on a farm, um, to ensure that all the work's getting done and getting done effectively, they want to know what work's already been started versus what's in progress and what's still planned for later in the day. They might want to know where their equipment's at, to know things like equipment location, um, or maybe even things about the equipment, like fuel levels or material levels. Something else they might want to know real time is weather data. They might want to know about the weather data. So what's the current weather and what's the forecast weather? And they can use all that status data to make real time adjustments within a day. And then the third type of data that farmers can gather that they can give value of might be job detail data. So it's not really the summary data we talked about first, but it's detailed data about how jobs got done. So for example, how long do each of these different seeding applications or spray applications take in each of my fields? And I wanna compare those. How long do each of my operators take to do the same sort of work? And I wanna compare those. What, how long does each of these machines take to do a particular job? And I'm gonna use all this data to benchmark my different types of operations and try and improve productivity on my farm. We're seeing this really massive amount of detailed data become available to farmers. And sometimes they don't know what to do with it. So how should they be using it? And in what ways does it provide the most value to them? It starts with collecting the data. And to make value of it later, they want to make sure they're choosing tools and processes that make it easier for them to get that value they want later, easier for them to organize the data, um, so it should be in a very well-structured format, making sure they have clean data that comes in, such that they are able to find the particular data they're looking for. So field one is always spelled and capitalized in the same sort of way. And the last point there would be, as far as using the data later, they want to make sure it's easy to access. You know, the more standardized, the more automated the collection of the data is, the less data entry they have to do, the less moving of data they have to do, the more likely they're going to get some of this value out of it later. But if it becomes another job to collect the data, to organize the data, we're just reducing the likelihood somebody's actually going to use it. What do you think that farmers should consider when they're choosing a tool that's going to give them this type of data and then eventually those great benefits you just mentioned? Absolutely. 
I think number one, farmers should look for well-positioned tools that address narrow use cases. You know, in general, you know, a lot of software that ingests this data for farmers does a lot of different things. And what that means for the farmer is they end up trying to look for the value and trying to find value by using a tool. Instead, we should probably reverse that. Farmers should understand what they want to do. Am I looking for just basic job summary data or am I looking to optimize my operations by doing analysis um, and benchmarking? So look for tools that actually do and provide the value the farmer is looking for. Beyond that, they've got to be easy to work with. We know farmers are not looking for another job. For example, the data has got to be very simply entered. We have to avoid duplicate data entry whenever possible. So make sure that we have the data available that we want to get value out of, um, make it as easy as possible to work with. And finally, the third point I would say is the tool should be highly compatible. And what does that mean? Number one, they should be compatible with multiple different precision ag or OEM displays, such that that data can flow right into the tool the farmer wants to use, the farmer's trying to get value out of using, make it easy. And beyond that, in being highly compatible, if I have all my data in one spot, it should be easy to get those, that data into a different software tool that I might want to use. Farmers don't necessarily use one software tool for everything they want to do. Maybe I'm centralizing all my data at one spot, but then analyzing it somewhere else. So that data should be very easily transferred from one tool to another, ideally over the air without something like a USB stick to make it easier for the farmer to get value out of using all the different tools that they work with. And at this time of year, when a lot of people are either done with harvest or wrapping up harvest, what should they be doing to put themselves in a good position um, in terms of data for ahead of the next planting season? Sure. I think there's probably a couple of things they could be doing. One is use the data they have from 2021. You know, gather that data and first of all, make value out of it. You can do analysis to make better decisions for your 2022 planting season. But what that'll also do for you is help you recognize what you might want to do differently as far as how you use data in the future. If we try and do something with it now, we can recognize, okay, I wish I'd done this, this, and this to make it easier to use my data. Or I wish I had a tool that actually gave me something different than my current tool does. So let me go find that now. So by using the data they already have, they can get value out of it, but also recognize what they might want to do differently in the future. And then beyond that, the second suggestion would be, do your 2022 data set up now. Make that investment in the off season when you have time. And so what does that mean? You know, get your data organized, understand how you want to use it, you know, put your processes together to collect the data because we know once the season starts, there's too many other jobs that the farmer's going to have in front of them that's going to cause them to decide they don't want to start doing something new at that point. So if we're going to do something new, let's invest in that and make those investments now such that we can get that value in 2022. Makes sense. And then in terms of dealers, what should they be asking their customers when they're trying to help them decide what type of 
data they need to collect? And then what tool will allow them to do that? We know that farming operations and farming types are different. So with regard to understanding what the customer needs, we've got to understand their business and where they have challenges, where they have opportunities. Because you know, a small two to three person operation is going to be trying to address different problems potentially than a 15 to 20 person operation. So if we understand the operations and what problems, what challenges they're trying to address, we can then help them find the particular tools that they can get value out of. We know software is not one size fits all. And so it's made a different tool and potentially a different software for different farmers and farming operations. Now let's get back to the conversation with Alexi Andreev as he discusses the trend of major lines acquiring tech startups and what will happen if big tech companies start to expand into agriculture. In the autonomous driving space, mm-hmm. are startups mostly focused on specialty crops or are they also thinking about row crops like corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think the broad crops autonomy exists and pretty much fully deployed by incumbents. Think about John Deere, so the world, or other big players. If you have a broad crop, all you need is just follow the pattern. You don't need to look at every plant separately. Traditional players are already good at broad crops, mm-hmm. and I don't see any reason to go and compete with them, frankly. But they never succeeded in expanding into specialty crops. And so what we see is the new breed and specialty crops, that, that's where human labor <clears throat> is really expensive. If you look at cost of goods sold, you will see that in the apples, like human labor is 65 75%. And that's exactly what, what this new crop of robotic startups are targeting. Instead mm-hmm. of competing with incumbents, can we bring this automation, can we bring AI to the new domains which were historically untouchable and, and required human labor? That's interesting that you said the, the big brands have never really succeeded in expanding into specialty crops. In 2021, we've seen a lot of those major line equipment manufacturers acquire tech companies. Mm-hmm. Um, John Deere acquired Bear Flag Robotics. Kubota mm-hmm. acquired Ag Junction. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this acquisition trend is going to continue into 2022? Yeah. I, I, I think so. Um, again, we see it in, in uh, traditional car making. So if, if you think about existing incumbent players, they're really good at building the vehicles with internal combustion engines, okay, <laughs> and building the body outside and market, uh, market those vehicles and selling those vehicles and maintaining and supporting those vehicles. But historically, those players are not tech companies. And therefore, we, we decided to choose this domain, next generation ground transportation, as, as our investment domain, because we believe that uh, industrial incumbents will need technology and, and tech giants will want to understand about uh, driving and vehicles. And I think the trend is very similar in agricultural equipment. You have traditional players who really know the core business 
but all those AI things are truly mesmerizing and, and very complex. And you don't expect uh, a vehicle maker to have this expertise in house. It's just not their bread and butter. They need to find it somewhere else. Right. And I also will not be surprised if some of the tech giants will say, hey, we actually can expand into agriculture. They can easily decide to bring technomite in, in agriculture because they know how to data mine and analyze and find the patterns in data. And I suspect we may see even acquisitions from large uh, tech companies interested in acquiring this know-how of agriculture. What do you think it would mean for the future of agriculture if the big tech companies start expanding into this space? Normally, it would mean uh, increase in productivity. I think it will mean reduced prices and streamlined supply chain. I think we'll see some structural changes in agriculture. But on the other hand, tech companies don't want to build equipment. They don't want to operate equipment. They want to build brains for equipment, and they want to build nervous systems for the equipment. And they want to optimize. I think they will stay on this electron data level. But uh, because they have so much money, they can do acquisitions. And they can say, hey, guys, you keep doing what you're doing, but I will provide brains and I will provide provide data rails and I will be taking care of supply chain optimization. We see it happening in transportation. I think it well might happen in, in agriculture. That's really interesting. How would that then trickle down and affect the dealerships and then also their customers? I don't think it will change. I think the retail should be in good shape for quite a while. I read that there's been $4.3 billion invested in ag tech in the first half of 2021, Mm -hmm. and that's a 70% increase over 2020. Mm -hmm. You think that growth trend will continue in 2022? Yes. Yes. And and again, I'm not an ag investor specifically. We just invest in autonomy. But if you look at firms of my former colleagues, people I used to work with. There is a race going on to essentially build meat in, in vat tanks and how we can we can grow cellular culture without animals as the way to first massively increase productivity and second make more humane food production and number three reduce methane emission and other carbon dioxide emission and greenhouse effects. There's a race and amounts of money going into this domain is just staggering. And I heard uh, kind of rumor mill, there's a lot of progress happening. It's massive. It's it's like a new space race. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. See a lot of big data plays, yield improvement and yield increases. And it's a new hot theme. And there are funds getting formed specifically to pursue Agbio uh, startups and technologies. It's exciting times. There will be winners and there will be losers. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, I, I sleep well. I'm not worried about running out of food. The humankind will find ways to out-innovate of, of the ongoing problems. 
and climate change. Uh, and I think it will be a combination of autonomy, it will be a combination of robotics, it will be a combination of better seeds, and it will be a combination of something no one even thinks about. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the most amazing thing to actually work with startups. Uh, you have super smart people showing up at, at, at your door steps, and they're coming up with craziest ideas, something you will never, ever guess. Any of those companies will fail. But some of them will succeed and they will change the world. So it's a great time to be in AgTech. It's a great time to have an impact on how food is produced. If you're one of those smart people who have a new idea to innovate the agriculture industry, Alexi Andre wants to hear from you. We have contact information for Autotech Ventures on the webpage for this episode. You can also share your thoughts about the future of autonomous agriculture by emailing me at mpaulkner at lessetermedia.com or calling me at 262-777-2441. And be sure to keep up on the latest precision practices impacting your dealership by registering for a free PFD daily email newsletter. Go to precisionfarmingdealer.com to sign up. I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Alexi Andreev and Autotech Ventures, Trimble Agriculture, and all of us here at Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Associate Editor Michaela Faulkner. Thanks for listening.